All right, so today we have uh, Blake Huntington and Nick Cowler also talking about turkey hunting. So let's uh, just start out talking about you guys' background with turkey hunting and how you got started. So I guess basically, I mean, I started hunting at a young age, but not turkeys. My dad and I decided that we would go turkey hunting when I was a sixth grader, and uh, that didn't work out too well. We didn't really know what we were doing. We kind of went where there was birds in the fall, and uh, I think that first year, we probably didn't see or hear a turkey. And so at that point in time, I was like, well, this is terrible. Cause I was used to like <laughs> waterfowl hunting, deer hunting, pheasant hunting, all that stuff. And I said, well, I don't really want to do this again. And then in the off season, my dad kind of uh, talked to a few guys that had been turkey hunting and their biggest advice was you need to scout like where you see birds at in the fall necessarily does not mean you're going to see them in the spring. So that's kind of what we did and it ended up working out, but that's kind of my introduction to start turkey hunting. And ever since then, from my seventh till now, my seventh grade year till now, so that's probably like 15 years, um, I don't think I've gone a season without killing a tom. Um, so, but a lot of it is scouting, and that's how we kind of got into it. I don't know, Nick, you could. Yeah, I probably was uh, eighth, ninth grade before. I mean, me and you always got along real, real good and um, hunted and fished together for the longest time and always hung out and um they probably had it brad and him probably had it figured out you know before i got into it and um it was something i kind of just like maybe talked to me about doing and um i kind of got into it with him and uh it turned out to be fun and we've had a lot of fun over the years with it oh yeah because i remember your first turkey we shot that was the first time I ever called. I think I know I was in high school, so you might have been a sophomore, actually. I've been with Brad multiple times hunting, too. Kind of one-on-one with him, and but then it's probably one of our first few times out together. Yeah, we went out together, and we had a, we thought it was a Tom, but he was gobbling all morning. And he, and he, and he came down and started strutting. I was like, oh, my God, it's a Jake. <laughs> and Nick's like, I don't care. It's my first turkey, and he shot it. And we're like, well, that's great. So that kind of since then, you were, you were hooked. You're like, at that point in time, that was the first bird I had ever called in. Usually my dad had called him in for me. And I was like, well, I can do this now. So was that box calling or what? Mouth call. I've never used anything except for a mouth call. People think I'm people think I'm a little bit weird. Um, but and I was not very good. I mean, you can ask these guys. I mean, I used to go to an octave ten and just hammer on it. <laughs> and and back in the day, I mean, to be honest with you, and we can get into this a little bit later, there used to be a lot more toms than there were hens. So now you drive around, you'll see a lot more you'll see a Tom with 20, 30 hens. And back then you just didn't see that. And so if you were acting excited at all, and I only knew like a Yelp, um, I didn't know anything else besides then. And I, I would say right now I'm probably an average caller at best. I could just hammer on it. And if we were in a half a mile, I'd feel pretty confident we were going to kill the bird because they usually always came in. Yeah. Most of them are really responsive. Did you guys grow up around here then? Or where are you guys from? So I grew up in, thompson um iowa okay um we have some private stuff we hunted there mainly with deer um i actually shot my first turkey there as well i would say i kind of just hunted around that area growing up and then once i got oh we're probably juniors or seniors we probably started moving over to lake mills and started hunting but we went to north iowa community schools nick yeah i'm from uh lakota iowa born and raised um i uh same thing i mean year younger than blake um always been uh close friends you know uh always done the same or had the same interests um so that's kind of been a 
big thing with this all is hunting together and um, doing everything together for the most part, um, hunting wise. So. so you guys kind of give a background, like how you guys got started, but like, what was the draw to turkey? Just something to hunt in the spring or like just the challenge or what was it? We just wanted to do it. Yeah. I mean, it, like you see all, I mean, back in the day, I mean, when you have like the outdoor YouTube wasn't big back then. Yeah. So yeah. you had the outdoor channel. So, I mean, like guys like Michael Waldell and like the Lekowskis, they're always like killing birds and they came in goblin. Well, uh, Terry or Mark Dury. Yeah. The jury boys. I mean, we'd watch that and we're like, God, we could do that. And, uh, <laughs> or try to. Or we, and that's the thing. I mean, like I said, like my first year, we did not see or hear a turkey. And I was like, this sucks. And I remember, I can remember it specifically. My dad had killed a bird second season that next year. And he called me out on four season. And uh, the last day of four season, there was a bird. And he came in about perfect. And that was my first turkey. And he gobbled probably 150 times. I was like, that's what they do on TV. But <laughs> besides that, I mean, it just, I don't know what really draw, drew us to it. Adrenaline. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, like, yeah. I was kind of the same way. Like, you watch all the guys on the TV and, like, you just hear gobbles. And, like, the first time I went out, I was lucky enough to hear gobbles. But, I, like, like you said, though, like, there are some silent times. and It definitely isn't as exciting what TV makes it to, out to be. But when it does get to that point, I'm sure. I would say turkey is probably my favorite thing to hunt. I mean, overall, I, I really enjoy everything else, but turkeys are so cool because you can communicate with them so well and they respond back to you and you're like recreating nature because typically the hen does not go to the tom. Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably one of the cool things that drew me to them. And also, I don't have to be glued to a certain spot like we can run and gun and move on them a lot. And we'll get into that a little bit too, like some of the tactics that I use. Um, yep. But I mean, a lot of it's just kind of learning i mean we messed up a lot when we first started on we used to shove three of us in a blind and just gooning around and we <laughs> we really had no clue but the birds at that point in time it was late in the season were pretty stupid so i mean we really didn't know what turkey hunting was because if you could make any sound that sounded like a hen it'd probably come in yeah and you know probably goes like to the turkey hunting background you know um we kind of figured it out, or I should say Blake kind of figured it out. His dad kind of had it figured out, and we kind of tagged along, Colton and I, and um, it just kind of turned into a deal where, like, you know, me, Colton, and Blake kind of went off after we were in high school our later years, and we kind of just, we wanted to have a film. We wanted a film. We wanted to do, like, you know, we... He, and and this is not a lie. So like we literally had like our own Twitter page, Facebook page called KH Outdoors, and we filmed like probably every hunt until I, I was in college. I we probably did eight turkey hunts. We probably had on film. You know, our editing skills probably weren't. The oh, they were terrible. <laughs> terrible editing skills. In fact, I should have brought my computer. We had a bunch of stuff on there. The time when you shot that bird on that sime tree line, but a lot of it was. Uh, there, there was a lot of bad words <laughs> yeah, for, for young high school boys. But it was cool at the time, and we just, like, got to capture it, and that's kind of what drew us to it. So every year we were just ready to go. And, I mean, I would say from my probably eighth grade year till I was a junior in college, I shot two birds a year, two times a year. Because you could always buy, like, a first, second, third season tag, or you could buy a fourth season tag, or you could buy two fourth season tags. I would always kill two times a year and then I'd have these two goons with me and we'd go and I helped my sister kill a bird one time. I'd go with my dad. I mean, we've all kind of worked together as a group, even including Blake's dad. I mean, there's been times Blake hasn't been able to go out and there's been a time Brad's taken me out because I needed to fill a 
second season tag or something. I didn't have to. Um, I just, but I really enjoyed it and I wanted to, right. you know, and actually, I mean, there wasn't a better, honestly, a mentor to oh, it, pull out with. I mean, Brad's pretty educated and got it, has it figured out, you know, um, it was good to be with him. And yeah. And that's one thing I should have probably gave credit to. Like I grew up in hunting family. Like my dad's taught hunter safety for like over 40 years. Wow. Um, and, uh, that's all kind of, I did. So, I mean, it's just hunting when I grew up. I remember him drink, bring him out to the duck blind at like four years old. And, uh, so, I mean, there, I was pretty fortunate growing up. Like my dad did a lot of stuff with me and taught me a lot of stuff. And we don't rarely hunt anymore. We got to hunt last year. And I don't think it was, I think I can remember after I started calling by myself, maybe hunting like a handful of times. And we're usually pretty lethal because we both can call pretty decent. So if there's a bird that we think we can play with, we can usually make it work out. So that's kind of what got us hooked to. How about those films? What, whatever happened to those? They never got posted <laughs> anywhere? Would you guys send them to the outdoor? <laughs> Did you guys send them into the outdoor channel? It might just be in the locked funds that we have to get. So you guys aren't going to believe this, but I mean, this is, this is a true story. So we had this K&H outdoors thing. And I kid you not. And I could go down a rabbit hole here for a while, so stop me. But uh, <laughs> there was a K&H Outdoors company in Canada that uh, did, like, guided hunts. Okay. They still do to this day. And we were the first thing that showed up on Google. So I got a call one day. And uh, Nick got a call, too, because we were the, we were the three uh, pro staff. And we were just doing it for fun. I mean, we, yeah. we, we really didn't care. Nonprofit organization. <laughs> they want us, us to take down the name. And I was like, are you, I said, this is just for fun. And so then I started playing with the guy a little bit. I said, well, a hundred thousand dollars and we'll, we'll change the name. <laughs> he never called me back and we never had to change the name, but, but Mojo recognized us. Mojo sent us free stuff all no, the time. I, so back to that story kind of too, you know, with that guy, you know, it, it all turned out fine. He was up in Canada and um, so I, I kind of talked to him, real good guy. And I think they have a good thing going up there, but it's way different from here. I mean, yeah. like a lot of our stuff based off of white-tailed deer, um, you know, waterfall stuff around here, a lot of waterfall, um, and then turkeys. I mean, yeah, sure, they got that stuff up there too, but it's not, I mean, they're more deer. I mean, they're, they're in fishing. Is and they were a guiding service. Yeah. So, um, and I think they actually ended up switching their name um, on, and I actually still follow them, I think, and they do good for themselves and stuff, but they just put it to their names. Um, it was uh, Kevin and Heather, I think. Yep, Kevin and Heather. So it's not K&H Outdoors okay. anymore. Um, and nothing ever came about the deal. It wasn't a big deal. No. We tried not to make a big deal about it. Uh, they were but, I mean, you know, it was kind of one of them phases you went through um, that we had, and it was a, you know, like a probably a high school phase, I should say. You know, we thought, you know, it, this is this is pretty badass. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like we're gonna do this, and we and we were kind of stuck in our way. You know, when he kind of contacted us, we we're like, why should we have to change our name? Right, you know, just yeah. because we show up because of our Twitter this account. Is- Kaler and Huntington Outdoors, and then Colton was part of the pro staff, too, you know? And it, it was just a fun little... We just posted pictures and made tweets. Like, we gave updates, like, we got three birds gobbling their heads off here or something yeah. like that. You know, and then we had a couple, like, Buck Obsession called us one time, too. And they wanted us to make videos for them. And it, they wanted us to do deer and turkey. 
And I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to film a deer hunt, but I said, I give you all the turkey footage you want. And that ended up kind of falling through when we were, I was a freshman was in college. Tough. We didn't have the money. We didn't have the equipment to do nothing. No. I mean, we pretty much just had, you know, a couple Canon Rebel uh, cameras, you know, they're high quality cameras at the time, digital cameras. Uh, well, you know, but I mean, still, I mean, we didn't, we weren't going to purchase a 2000. I mean, my truck was two thousand dollars. You know, well, not us around. And that the cool thing about that is we would post all the time, and we were always killing turkeys. Like I think the one year between like us, we had all killed our two birds. My sister had killed a bird. My dad killed two birds, and I think a couple other people we helped. So we had like over twelve birds in the ground. I think at one point we had like thirty percent of the bird shot in Winnebago County. <laughs> and, uh, our mojo had sent us a message about a duck picture that you posted with some mojo things. And they sent us like hats, scootin' shoots and all that stuff. And scootin' shoots are basically like reaping turkeys. Um and so they yeah, they I'll add on that kind of too and you can keep talking about it too. But they yeah, they uh we kind of teamed up with them and it was a more of like a it wasn't a pro staff deal. It was kind of more like a videography if we took pictures, they would send us bling. Yeah, if, yeah, pretty much. You know, you you put their you put their items in right. in that yep. picture, um, and that you were actually using to um, take the birds or uh, whatever you were taking. Um, so you guys were kind of the pioneers of social media. Well, we tried, we tried, we tried, we tried. The coolest <laughs> thing that TikTok and stuff, boy, if we could have had this. Oh <laughs> man, we would have been huge. <laughs> I mean, the, the coolest thing that they ever did is I remember. Mojo came out with a shake and Jake uh, decoy is what they called it. And I bought one. It was 160 bucks. I had no money when I was in college. Yeah. I was a sophomore in college. I bought it. Take it out the first weekend. Hammer a time, but I let it beat the crap out of the decoy and it broke. I sent a picture of it in an email that Nick had to Mojo and they they shipped me one I had it within two days for free. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was the coolest thing in the world. Honestly, it was a good deal. You know, it kind of just fizzled out towards the end. Because we weren't posting anything. Like you guys kind of just grew up, like, yeah. doing your own stuff. Basically, yeah, you know, we stopped chasing the dinosaurs kinda... in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like that. But, you, you know, it was a it was a fun run while we it had it. We, you know, it was we had uh, Mojo. I mean, I, I'm probably out of the three of us, probably. Uh, Colton's pretty close, too. Blake's done a lot of waterfall hunting, too. But I that's the main thing I've I've done since... I was eight years old the first time I ever goose hunted um, youth hunt. I shouldn't even say youth. It was, yeah, it was opening weekend, and, you know, I was. A lot of field hunting. And it was, yeah, a lot of field hunting. And uh, over by the Union Slough in Lakota. And uh, we, uh, first goose I ever shot was a banded goose. So yeah. my, my luck from there was, you know, that was pretty, I was pretty fortunate. Um, and then it kind of just grew from there. Um, and. Back on the mojo part for turkey hunting wise, I'll kind of keep it towards turkeys. But yeah, they kind of gave us a, a wide variety of mojos to use. You know, they got really good uh, duck. We uh, got ducks. duck mojo mojo <laughs> yeah. ducks. Yeah. Um, you know, they sent us uh, teal mojos, uh, mallard mojos, a pair of mallard mojos, a pair of teals, um, doves, um, and then the turkey stuff. So it, I mean, it was it was kind of stuff where we just had to get back on posting for. Um, pictures and videos and short clips and stuff and it worked out good for while while we were doing it so this so this was kind of like a unofficial sponsorship yeah yeah I mean, yeah that. yeah that probably we probably <laughs> I mean, we post it all the time i mean it was it
What what kind of uh, following did you guys have on your Twitter page? Just mainly local people. And we get we get a lot of outdoors uh, pages to follow us. So at one point, I think we had like 800 followers and we followed like 150. And it was a lot of like outdoors people that would follow us or whatnot. Like Lee and Tiffany, I remember the highlight of my day. I shot a turkey and I tagged uh, Lee and Tiffany in it and they retweeted it. Quote, retweeted. It's a nice job, boys. And then they followed us back, and I I remember screenshotting that. But yeah, I mean, you know, and that was another big thing back to the turkey hunt that I had with Blake's dad, Brad. Um, he had a couple Dave Smith decoys, and Dave Smith he, he's a very big or very known for um, custom creating his own decoys. And uh, I posted something on Facebook, and Dave Smith uh, tagged him in it on his on the post, and he commented back, and you know, yeah, that was pretty cool seeing something, <laughs> you know. Yeah, for sure. Famous like that, you know, that kind of gets your ego. You're like, boy, that's we're big time. <laughs> Are you guys coming out of retirement soon or what? You know, I mean, social media is not. I if I kill something, you'll probably find it on Instagram. I don't always post it on Facebook. I don't post it on Twitter. I would say most of our outdoor posts anymore. Between all three of us, are just on our private. Uh, yeah, we don't post I mean, on KNH I don't, anymore. We don't update it. I can tell you the password. I remember it. Like, <laughs> I, I honestly, it's kind of funny. I posted a picture of a walleye uh, from Spirit Lake opener this last weekend. And so on Instagram, when you're posting, you know, I say, do you want to share this to Facebook? Well, I accidentally forgot to take it off of Facebook. I've never paste or post on Facebook. <laughs> well, then all of a sudden I'm getting notifications on Facebook. People are liking this post. I'm like, God, I didn't mean to, but I, you know, I'm, People are liking it. It was a nice eye. I ain't just going to delete it now, so I just let it go, you know. But most of our stuff, I would say, all three of us, if you if you want to see outdoor posts, um, it's on our Colton's. I could give a big shout out to, uh, he's sitting right here to my left, uh, Colton Scarp 8. Shoots a lot of big deer. Public land. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you guys plug stuff at the end, whatever you guys want to plug for your social media handles and stuff. I guess the next thing we'll talk about is just, you know, with Iowa, we have Four different seasons so how do you go about hunting all those separate seasons and what are your different approach so i've never personally hunted first season my dad started hunting it the last two years um i would say specifically in first season it's very patternable i mean like you're patterning a deer on like a food source late in the season it's very something like that and that's kind of like what you go through um there is some vocalization on the roost but they're very, very hend up, not necessarily breeding them. And they haven't really probably figured out their whole pecking order yet. So, I mean, you're, it's not uncommon to see like a group of 40 birds. Um, so that's one of those things. If you know where they're going in the morning or at night or whatever, you're probably going to kill a bird because they're probably just going to come up to you like a deer. So to me, that's not as much as fun hunting because I like them to go. I like them to call. I like them to respond back to me. I mean, if I take that out of it, it's not fun to me. I want to go do that. I'll go sit in my tree stand and trust me, I've spent plenty of hours in there. Um, once you transition on to second season, you're going to start getting, there's a lot of the fly down and Colton and I experienced this this year during second season. A lot of gobbling on the roost. I would say they get down, they, they, they gobble for what? 20, 30 minutes, find their hens. And uh, then they kind of go on their way. And probably there's a hot spot there mid morning ish that I would say mid morning to late afternoon that they probably lose their hens or a bird will lose their hens, probably not the dominant bird and they will become more vocal. Um, 
and that's actually a time I've had my most luck in probably the last five or six years killing birds is, okay, you hunt them on the roost about eight o'clock. If they're not responding, they're not coming. And there's usually a pretty dry period in there with gobbles. Once they hit the ground, I mean, legal shooting time was six o'clock. We had a bird fly down at 557 this year, a Tom and he started gobbling on the ground, try to get his hens all round up. And probably after about 630, you don't hear a gobble until probably about 839. So basically what we started doing is we would hunt them on the roost. Might get lucky, might get one to come down. And we started going in back late morning in second season, late morning, early afternoon. And that's when we've kind of had our luck. Like we shot our birds at 11, 18 this year. We Colton and I doubled. As you transition on into third season, you're going to see a little bit of like the bunching up when they fly down um, in the morning. But if there's more than one Tom in the spot, he's probably the dominant bird's probably taking the hens and that other Tom's probably going to stick around. Now he might be a little bit call shy or reluctant to come in to your decoy, just blazing. Um, But I've had better luck when I've hunted third season, hunting birds off the roost, getting them to come down right away. Um, And that kind of transitions into four season, probably until about now. And right now you're seeing a lot of birds just laying on their nest all the time. Um, There's some with the Tom in the morning for a little bit. And after that, I mean, you can find some pretty dumb birds. Like last year, I think I hunted with Nick on the last day of the season, and that bird gobbled over 300 times. Holy oh, crap. wow. I've always thought, felt like I've had the best luck or the most memorable hunts late season, fourth season. Like the last weekend. And I feel like that comes down to, you know, most of the hens are bred, and they're sitting on nest 24 7 at that point. Well, yeah, you know, and the males are feeling pretty still good about themselves, you know. <laughs> Boy, let's go check out this good looking decoy you guys got, you know. Sometimes I feel like it's been really easy, like mm-hmm. almost real dumb. That I mean, I kind of lost interest there for a couple of years. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, turkey hunting wise, I kind of lost, I mean, because we just banged them up and it was almost yeah i mean like it it was literally getting to a point where we're like if we can get within a half mile of these birds and i they can hear my call they're coming you know these two they kind of kept going on it and i kind of i just had to kind of take a break and you know actually i think last year was my first year in two or three years or four four or five i mean it might have been a while that long but probably three four for sure and you know i kind of back i i just did the fourth season last year and and it was kind of a one and done deal. You know, it just happened lucky. Like we kind of knew what we were doing. I don't know if we knew what we were doing, but it just happened. Like seemed like at least yeah. um, there's no hands with it. <laughs> exactly. And and that's kind of my point I'm getting back to. I think, you know, a lot of the stuff is kind of cleaned up by then. And they're, they're looking for that one that's still, you know, roaming around that uh, might, might strike their interest. And it just happens to be in our favor. So that personally on, on season wise is kind of why I, uh, enjoy four season. To elaborate on that, that's why I choose to hunt second season. I usually always buy a four season tag, and like for the last like four or five years, I think I filled it once, and it was just a dumb luck situation. We found a bird in an area that had a lot of toms in it, and he played the game for me, and so I shot him. But usually, I hunt second season because it is a little bit more challenging. It's not the like what Nick just described, like the one and done. You know where he's roosting. He flies down and he's probably coming to your decoy um, because he has no other hens with him. So he has nothing better to do. And he's coming in just blazing. I mean, it's just like how you watch it on TV. Second season doesn't always work like that. So like we've gotten into 
Well, my buddy Colton, we've gotten into a lot of running and gunning with birds. So, and, and the, the thing is with that is, is that, you know, a lot of people, I got a Tom Rooster. Okay, great. Well, I got like, and this is not trying to sound arrogant or anything, but I mean, I try to find, and a lot of this comes with scouting. I have 25 spots I can go to between public and private. I try to find a quarter of those spots that I can hunt exclusively just in the morning. So I get to a public spot in the morning, somebody else is there. I take off, go to the next spot. Okay. Then I got a quarter of those spots that I'm only probably going to hunt mid morning, early afternoon. And then I probably have a, the other quarter of the spots where it's kind of a coin flip. I can do whatever I want. Less competition in those spots or just the way the turkeys are acting in those Basically, spots? Basically, it's taking their temperature. I mean, if they're not going to play with me, I'm not going to play with them. I mean, if I go into a spot, I mean, it's not too uncommon. I think last year, Cold Knife of Dumb Luck found like three spots because we struck out in the morning. I missed. Um, <laughs> and we went around just kind of running and gunning on some spots and the birds weren't playing. And this sounds really weird, but we went out and we took a leak on a gravel road right by some public, like literally 50 yards off the road and taking a leak. It's like noon. We just hear a gobble. We're like, and it's like 80 yards away. We're like, what? So we, he's like, get the guns, get the guns. So we go out there (laughs) and it was a spot no one would ever think of and no one would ever know about, but those birds feel comfortable there at that time because people are hunting them during the morning and it's hard to get in on them in the morning. And so they're not going to go up there in the morning because they know there's people trying to harass them. And so yeah. that's kind of one of those things. So I like to have basically in the morning, I like to have about nine options. So if I can have nine options that I can go to in the morning, like if I say we want to go to public tomorrow and somebody beats us to it, that's theirs because around here we don't have a big enough public. So I say, go for it. We're leaving. And if that bird isn't playing in the morning by eight o'clock, he hasn't came in, we're leaving and we're going to go try a whole bunch of different spots and just try to run and gun him. And if I can get a bird to respond to me, that's who we're going after. And so if he's not going to play with me, we know there's birds there. We're out. So that's kind of how it works. And that's how I do it. I'm not saying that's the right way to do it, but like, I like to have the odds stacked in my favor. So I can have many different options to go. And I would say out of those 25 spots, 18 of them are public. That's a good strategy. Pub, uh, the private spots that we do hunt, only two of them we can hunt exclusively. So it's kind of like you're hunting public. That's some good information. I guess I, I even learned something there. But as far as like, have you guys hunted outside the state of Iowa? Not for turkeys. We've we've hunted in South Dakota. I went, me and Nick went to school out there. We've hunted waterfowl. That's why I don't waterfowl hunt a lot waterfowl. anymore. You guys, you guys hunted a little bit of deer. I hunted deer. Yep, we hunted deer out there. That was pretty fun. Um, thought about turkey hunting. If if I were to hunt birds outside of an eastern Iowa turkey in northern Iowa, I would want to go to like Nebraska or South Dakota and hunt some Merriams. The reason why is I'm not saying they're easy, but they're extremely vocal. So that's kind of what I'd want to do. Pretty super pretty birds, bigger birds. Um, and I'm not calling them dumb because there are some Merriams out there, especially when you get closer to like Colorado. They're extremely, extremely tough to hunt. So are you guys like, as far as that goes, are you guys pursuing the Turkey Grand Slam? Would you guys pursue that or no? You know, Eventually, you know, yes, I, I would say, you know, maybe as we get established as, um, I don't know, for Blake's sake, you know, I I know Colton would be down to do it. I would be down to do it. If we would do it, it would be as like a group, yeah. like us three. And it would be probably, yeah, basically just like what the hunting public does. And you just go, the only one I don't know if I'm too interested in, even though I think they're a cool bird, is probably 
Osceola's. I just think that I don't want to be chugging around and some marsh and have a gator snack me up. <laughs> but like Rio's, Merriam's, I definitely go after Rio's and Merriam's. I think Rio's are cool. Rio's are really, really dependent on their moisture. Cause I mean, they're like in New Mexico, Texas. So if you got a good moisture year, you're probably going to run into Rio's on public land. If you have a bad moisture year, you're probably not going to see a lot. But if you have a good moisture year, your success rate on like a nesting, and don't ask me where I heard this because I really can't remember. <laughs> is like dang near eighty percent, and your real your on your real nesting rate on a dry year is like zilch. You're not getting anything. So on a good year for reels, that'd be super duper fun because those birds can get super aggressive. They are a little bit more call shy than probably the easterns, but it'd be fun to hunt them. They have nice big spurs on them, good beards. Yeah, I guess it's interesting. I feel like it's always something that people are chasing with the grand slams. And I feel like that's definitely like a doable one because you don't have to worry about drawn tags. You don't have to worry about travel. I mean, you have to travel a little bit, but not super far. I mean, we got a couple within us that are pretty close. Oh yeah. I mean, like we could go out to Nebraska or like uh, South Dakota. I mean, that's, that's not a bad deal, like bad drive to go out there and, and hit that out. You know, we probably should try in the next few years. You know, we got some friends out in South Dakota oh, yeah. from school and stuff. We probably should try talking with a few you know and maybe getting something set up just to but it would be cool to do something like that as a i have some relatives that live out in colorado and they'll get some real miriam crosses and those would be pretty cool to go hunt um because they kind of meet and like when you get to the border of south dakota like nebraska iowa you'll get some miriam uh eastern crosses um i don't know if people really admit that but i mean you can kind of tell um just by obviously the way they look like they're coloring. I mean, you'll get some light color Easterns, but I think around here, it's so much more different Turkey hunting than like when people think of Iowa, I mean, I, I can just remember this in college. Like, Oh, you live in Iowa. You shoot a lot of big deer. <laughs> I live in Northern <laughs> Iowa. I mean, <laughs> right, we're, yeah. we're pretty much in the prairie pothole region right now. So, I mean, it, it's just like, we're a different area than you go out to like, Oh, Clayton County, Winnipeg County. I mean, you get into like the hilly areas, you go down to Southern Iowa, Iowa, you get into that hill country, big, big timber pieces, big piece of public that range over thousands of acres. We aren't that. And so that's the thing that I think would be the biggest adaption for me is I've learned how to hunt these turkeys or the best that I can as of right now and going and getting that kind of country. It's, it's different. Um, so I think that would be the biggest adjustment, but I'm like, I think it would be pretty cool to go hunting like Virginia, West Virginia, stuff like that, Kentucky, we are getting a lot more terrain features. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll be a lot more challenging, but I, well, that's like, that's the thing. Like when I was doing my research, cause like just starting out, it was more like everybody was talking about those kind of areas. So it was kind of like this, like apply it to an area. Like it's tough to apply it to an area like ours. Like one of the things like I've learned, like, you know, a lot of people here, like watch the hunting public and they do an awesome job promoting like hunting public hunting, all that stuff, like what to do, what to look for without giving away their details. Right. And that's just not realistic for me. You know, like they always say, get and get to spots where people don't want to go. Well, I mean, sometimes we're dealing with public's public land that's less than 80 acres. And so, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, you can go as deep as you want, but you're not getting away from anybody. So it's one of those things where you just kind of have to learn to adapt and bounce around a little bit. And figure out where people are at and people aren't at. You know, one thing that is nice about Winterville County, knock on wood, I mean, I love hunters, but I mean, except for last year with the COVID year, 
I have, we don't see a lot of hunters, turkey hunting especially, because it is a little bit of work. I mean, we're up at three o'clock in the morning. I mean, we're out there grinding all day um, until we pretty much get a bird in your back and you don't get showered and eaten until probably 10 o'clock at night. So it's challenging. Yeah, I think it's definitely more of a grind. I think everybody hears what you guys talking about and thinks it's awesome, but kind of doesn't always see all the work behind the scenes. That, and that's one thing that I think people don't understand. One thing we haven't really touched on, I know you said a big thing was scouting. Yep. And like, how do you go about scouting or how does somebody go about scouting? As far as like, you guys just scout a lot from the woods or do you guys scout a lot from just roads and seeing birds or what's the... So basically to get into this, so, you know, back in the day, you used to get done with school first, second week of May. And you had like half four season left because four season used to go until like the very end of May, the last week of May. Not a lie. I would scout in the morning, listen at spots. And for the first couple of days, I'd listen at spots and then I'd scout around until about 10. And then I'd maybe go hunt for a little bit. And at night, I would go out there and see where they're going to roost at. So now... Oh, I would say a lot of the stuff that we're doing, especially with like work and stuff now, um, I will basically take a spot or two every morning um, before work, about 5.30. Um, this is right before second season. They usually start gobbling about 5.40 around then. And I'll listen to a spot or two every morning and say, okay, I know there's birds there. Historically, there's been b- birds there. I've heard birds gobble there. That's checked off my list. I know how to hunt it, and it's done. Now, at night, like what we did tonight is we're basically just trying to find birds. Okay, is there a stray bird going somewhere that he hasn't been going? Um, Because we've kind of, between our little community, we've kind of noticed where birds are going. So basically tonight, we're just trying to figure out, okay, where are birds at that they have not been? And we didn't really find that, I would say. Um, there's maybe one time we did see going in a weird direction, um, and we never kind of watched him because we weren't planning on hunting him. If Obviously, there's somebody where we pull up tomorrow, which there shouldn't be because it's private and we're the only ones that have permission. We'd probably go to that spot. But a lot of it is hearing them. I want to hear a Tom gobble. So I go like visuals is cool. Um, basically all that. Um, but I will get up early in the morning, um, especially during the spring, because like my days are shot as soon as spring comes because I'm out delivering seed and doing all that other stuff. So if I can get out and listen to birds and say, okay, got that spot checked off, that spot checked off. And I'll do that for a couple of weeks straight. And I know, okay, here's where they're gobbling at here. Probably not going to move because they, they probably haven't got a lot of pressure. And historically birds around here will go or will roost in the same spot. They aren't going to move around like in those big timber areas. And that's kind of how I do it now. Um, and that's the easiest way. Or another good thing. I mean, like for an average Joe, get up before work, go listen at a spot. And when you, come home the last two hours of daylight start scouting around um where you think there should be turkeys and a good rule of thumb around here if you can find some oak trees and you can find a water source within a mile and you can find some crp grass where the hens can nest you're probably going to find turkeys um because we actually have a pretty good population over here um are you guys using locate calls at all or is that not something so that we kind of just got into that actually so actually I've never used locate. I've never worked for me. I've tried cold calls, tried owl hoots, everything. And I started just with my mouth doing like an owl call. And it, <laughs> it honestly doesn't even sound that great. Can you demonstrate that? 
<laughs> I don't even know if I can do it. Colton can do it better. Actually, the best thing you can do is a coyote call. Colton can coyote call with his mouth, and it sounds perfect. <laughs> and that's what we do. And I'm literally, I'm getting birds to gobble to it. So I'll do that. Like in the mornings when I'm scouting and I know I need to get to another spot, I'll try to get a bird to premature gobble and I'll do that. I hear a bird gobble, I just take off. I don't care. I don't care how many there are. I heard bird gobble there. So I just kind of go. And a lot of those are public land birds because a lot of the private land birds that I hunt are pretty visible for the most part. Um, but besides that, if I want to do like a locate call, like let's say I haven't heard turkey gobble, I'll just try cutting really, really hard and be really, really frantic on like my mouth call. And they'll usually gobble that. Um, but locate calls around here don't work too well. I had geese waking up my uh, berries when I was hot. Yeah, yep. Geese will do it. Like So early in the morning when they're on the roost, about anything will set them off. A woodpecker, anything. But once they, yeah, pheasant cackle is a pretty good one. But once they get on the ground, after the first 30 minutes, they won't really typically respond to a locator call. So if I want to get a bird to gobble after 8 o'clock in the morning, I will have to do something crazy. Or like Colton has a box call that's pretty sharp, and that seems to work pretty well, too. It'll get him to sound off. So is this approach, like, the same for, like, even scouting new territories, like new spots? or Yep. So I do not scout in the woods until I hunt it. So like typically, I mean, to be frank with you, ever since that first season, I will not go into a spot unless I know there's turkeys in it. I've physically seen them or I physically heard them. Um, So I don't set my odds up because I can remember one time in the last 14 years that I've not heard a turkey gobble in the morning. That was with me and Colton two years ago, and the Tom skirted out and went to the north. We heard him, but he wasn't where I thought he was at. Um, but if I don't know he's there, I'm not hunting him. It's not worth my time. Um, so basically, now, taking that into effect, like we talked about second season, those birds might go off with their hens. If we're like, hey, we're leaving, we're going to town and grab a piece of pizza or something like that and grab a coffee, we'll leave. And before we leave, I might scout around in the trees and say, okay, or on the edge of the field is like, okay, they're coming here. So we need to get into town, get something to eat, and we need to come back here and wait for them. That's something that I'll do. And that's kind of the scouting I'll do in woods. Um, otherwise, I don't do it. If I don't see them or if I'm not hearing them, um, I don't hunt them. I guess like you just talk, you're afraid of just like pushing them or putting pressure on them? No, I mean, a lot of it is that, you know, a lot of the areas around here, like I talked about earlier, they're pretty small. I mean, so I just don't feel like, if I don't go there, and so, like, I will not go specifically scout a spot, probably, if I have not heard them, if I have not seen them, I will not, I will not scout it. Or, I'm trying to think of a way I can say this. So, if I see them, I'll go and scout them and listen in the morning and see where they're roosted at. And if there's a spot I think that there are birds at, and I have not seen them, I will just go listen in the morning. But otherwise, after that, there's no point in me going there. I know where they're at. I know they're there. Um, if they want to play, they're going to play. And that's that's a big thing about turkeys. I mean, they're so vocal and everything. I mean, that's you can kind of tell if a town's going to play with you or not. Um, and if they're not going to play, then we just kind of leave. Say you know where the birds are roosting, you know, kind of where the trees are that they're roosting in. How far, how far off are you going to set up in the morning? So that's a good question. So we've learned a lot over the years, but basically – when we're most successful is probably when we're within 75 yards. 
70 to 40 yards, 75 to 40, 40 yards. Um, we've, we've messed up a few times and got right underneath them. Exactly what happened last oh, year. Sure. Scouting? Or no. Uh, once we uh, find the birds, we know where yep. the roost it at. So, I mean, if you can get your success chance, and I would rank them by seasons, I'm going to throw out first season, but if you can get within 75 to 40 yards, you got a 50-50% chance that that bird might come down to you if you got something that is worth looking at. Um, third season, I would say it runs up to about 70% chance. I would say fourth season, if you're within 40 to 75 yards, you're probably got an 85, 90% chance that they might fly right down to you. You would recommend that if you know where they're roosting, you know, don't set up right below. So, yeah, and here's a good example. That's so a last year I had been scouting this turkey on public land, and this is COVID year, so there's hunters everywhere. And I'm going to go off on a little tangent here, but this kind of leads into a couple other things. But I'd scout this time. I'd listen to him three days in a row, and I knew he was there, and it was a smaller piece, and it kind of had like a U-shaped area there was a little grass strip in the middle there and it was like a u-shaped uh oak oak flat or whatnot and i thought he was roosting on the farthest west side so i told colton we went in there i said he's roosting on the farthest west side we're gonna put our decoy here he's gonna fly right down to us and we're gonna shoot him so we're there and we got there early so here's the the kicker when you get that close to him you got to be there early like there is no 30 minutes before you i mean you got to think i mean during second season turkeys we heard one gobble at five, 5.27. Well, yeah, the earliest we ever heard a turkey gobble was 3.55. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and that was way, way, way late for season. But 5.27 second season, we heard a turkey gobble. So, I mean, and they can see a lot, a lot better than we can. So, I'm talking, we're set up, ready to go before 5 o'clock. Um, when you're getting... Within 40 yards of them, I mean, I'm talking I want to be set up by a quarter to five. So me and Colton got there at 440 in the morning, thinking we're all ready to go. About five till five, all of a sudden I just hear, one was strutting on the limb, literally right above us. And all of a sudden I just started hearing, landing by me. It was bombs dropped. Yep, yep. (laughs) I was like, oh God, we messed up. And you couldn't move at that point. I mean, you were screwed. And it was a cold, cold morning. And uh, about 5.15 that day, that thing started sounding off. It was tree right next to us. I mean, like, I could have just reached around and shot him out of the tree. And so he, I was pretty open. Colton was pretty well covered. And so I reached around the tree, and I started, like, wrapping myself around it so he couldn't see me. And he gobbled there, and he flew down, did the perfect magic, went right to the decoys because we were right underneath him. And uh, I went up to go shoot, and my whole right side was numb my whole my body <laughs> fell asleep so i'm like trying to get down on it and i shot over his head and colton was videotaping the whole thing that's the thing that sucks and he goes how did you miss that <laughs> i can't feel my arms i mean like but that's one situation where you got too close um but i would say that's what i shoot for but the thing with that is is that you have to be extremely stealthy i mean i'm talking when i get to the last 200 yards it's like creep walking I mean, you're going five yards at a time and you're heel toe, heel toe, and you're not stepping on anything that can break. And when you, you set out the decoys very, very gingerly. And when you sit down, it's very, very quiet. And once you sit down, whoever you're with or whoever, when I'm hunting, 15 minutes of complete silence until you readjust. Doesn't care how uncomfortable you are because you do not want those birds to know you're there. Now, is that over dramatic? Probably. But I don't want to mess it up because we got this close 
right now. So that's kind of how I go by it. How about like, how would you hunt birds in the afternoon versus the evening? How do you approach those kind of birds? I guess. So like I have like my property set out and I don't call it afternoon. I call it like midday birds. So I call them the 11 a.m. to like the 2 p.m. birds. Because honestly, in the last 10 years, I've not hunted a bird past four o'clock in the afternoon. You never, you haven't hunted or killed a bird? I've never hunted. I'll get out of the woods and we'll go scout for the next morning. Um, because we've only had success like once or twice. Yeah, we, we shot one at the last yeah. two minutes of the season. season one we, time. We've had a couple afternoon hunts. It's almost like one of them deals where you know where they're roosting. So you come back to that spot and you put decoys out or whatever. And, and you kind of just, um, know where that where they're going to roost maybe give them one final look before they actually go and that's exactly it we want to know exactly where they're at the next morning make a plan them. we knew what they did the morning before something like that and the reason i say that why i don't hunt birds after four o'clock in the afternoon anymore i'd rather get out and go scout around and see if i can find something else is because i have physically seen turkeys a whole flock of turkeys going 200 300 yards away from their roost trees an hour past sunset. So I don't, I don't want to deal with that because then you got to, because I've been there, we've hunted them nights before and we've gotten sicky situations where they flew in up and we haven't gotten a shot. And then you're screwed because as soon as you get up, they know you're there. Um, and it's one of those things where I just don't dink with them. So I would say like hunting turkeys in the morning versus the afternoon. I'll just say turkeys in the morning versus midday, which I would say 11 till two. I, well, the turkey in the morning, I have a pretty clear sight of where he's at or pretty generalization. I want to get within that 75 yard bubble. Um, and if it works, it works. I'll give it till about eight, eight thirty. And if he's not coming, then he's probably not coming until a few hours later. So we'll go scout around and see if we can find a bird. Hey, we can make a move on this bird. He's all alone or we can cut him off. We know he's gone over here or we'll go back if we can get back in there. So we know these birds went off over this direction. And we know typically during this time of the year, like in second season, they, some of those times, especially if there's more than one time in an area, they're probably going to lose their hens at a certain time. And I call it like the golden 11 o'clock hour, because it seems like that's what's worked for us. Um, And it's, it's kind of like magic. Like this year, Colton and I, we struck out in the morning. There were seven times in the spot. Didn't have one come in. We got out, got something to eat, started cruising around. We saw two times on private, about 100, 200 yards away from public. And we went and we set up on them. Called at 1147 and 1118, they were dead. So I'd add in on that thing, you know, midday hunt, you know, where they find them, you kind of cruise around after your morning hunt, didn't pan out. Um, that 11 to 2 hunt, Blake's talking about the golden hour, is, is more of a, like, definitely a more stealthy hunt yeah it's running and gunning style it's for uh i should say it it ain't my it ain't my kind of hunting because um i can be stealthy when i need to be but you'd rather have them coming here yeah that's right you know uh cold and blake they're they're very stealthy and that's why i bring this that that's why i bring this up um it's easy for them to run and gun on birds um or to get close get close to the birds and try and make a move on them or try to make something happen versus me. I, I probably could do it, but it's like more of an enjoyment factor. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, and, and they get enjoyment out of, uh, out of, you know, you bring that up enjoyment wise. Um, yeah, for me, you like watching the sunrise and having them come coming in, you know, um, that feeling of them there, you know, um, within 
a hundred yards and you can just hear him strutting, you know? Uh, but, and, and I would, if I needed to, you know, I I'd make that move and I'd try to be as stealthy as I can, but I just feel like the, for, for the instance, for like them two, it's, it, it just works a lot better because they're both kind of on the same page. Um, they're, a lot lighter than me. <laughs> so, so basically the rule of thumb is, and like Nick's trying to get to is that like, you know, if he's coming in the morning, he's coming, yep. he's not dilly dallying around and there might be an hour grace in there. And we've had hunts like that where a bird, Hey, I think he's going to come. I think his hens are going to leave him. But when a time leaves with 20 hens, he's not coming back for a long time. Um, and so like what me and Colton have kind of basically said, I mean, nine times out of 10, if you get a bird to gobble at you after 10 o'clock in the morning, he's dead. I mean, he, he really is. I mean, he's committing suicide. I mean, so, so the biggest thing like we try to do is if he gobble, like when we shot those two birds on public this year, um, they responded to me and they were cutting me off. And I was like, let's give them time. See where they move. And the Jake started getting curious. And then the hens started leaving them. And it was within a matter of minutes. They were right in our lap. I mean, I'm talking five yards. Um, so it's one of those things like, we might leave our morning hunt, go to a different spot. If we get a bird to respond, we're making a move on it. And if we can't make a move on it, they're coming to us. Um, so anytime we can make a move on a bird after that morning hunt, like move terrain and it's tough around here because we don't have a lot of hilly terrain, we will do it. Or if we have an obstacle in front of us, we will try to get as close as we can be. As soon as you can get in like their bubble, we're like, okay, shoot, my hens left me. I'm coming to you. And that's kind of how that's fun hunting. So you guys say a lot of run and gun. Is that a lot of like, you guys are just hunting out of ground blinds or not? No. So like we will hunt out of ground blinds. Like a, you know, morning. Oh, oh yeah. That was like our group thing. Like, right. <clears throat> or even just, uh, you know, you got their roost. You get within yep. that 75 yard bubble. <clears throat> you set up that ground blind. For instance, me and Blake last year on my hunt, we got within probably a hundred yards of the bird and we were on a fence line. He crossed a blacktop. Yeah. Well, yeah. He had, a, he had a bunch of trees tucked in on them trees and stuff, you know, where we knew we didn't need a ground blind, um, ground blind. Ground blinds are great with turkeys. And that's, that's one of those things that people get the misconception. Uh, people call me and they'll be like, well, I got these birds, but they're all out in this field strutting. I said, go pop a, go pop a ground blind up there. Turkeys are not scared of ground blinds. In fact, it's a security cover for them. And I kid you not, uh, probably half of the birds I've shot, in the middle of a plowed field, and they'll come right up to you. I've had birds brush against the ground blind. Even if it's new the next day? Yeah. No, yeah. They don't care. They they really don't. They're not like deer. They they do not care. They see structure as security. Um, And their mind's going so fast during that time of year, they're thinking of one thing. They heard a hen. They got to get to that hen. And so that's one thing like, I always tell a guy. is like, well, I got these turkeys out in a field, and I can hunt it, but I don't have any cover. Go set up a ground blind. They'll come right to you. Now we've kind of gotten away from that. And the reason is, is that we haven't hunted much as like a group of three lately, but a lot of it too, is that, okay, if that bird flies down where we don't want him to go and we can get closer to him, we want to move. And so that's kind of one of those things why we don't hunt with it. But, you know, hunting out of a ground blind is a great first experience, especially if like, you know, these birds are going out here and they're strutting during the day. That's one of those things like go set it up. There's been times I've set up a ground blind 25 yards away from the grove they're real comfortable right oh yeah it's fun i mean a lot more movement but, you know it's a it's a thing like you know like blake said it's you kind of got to feel out the situation you know when it's right and you know when yeah that's uh, and that's the thing too it's right boy it's great i mean boy you could be in a 
And a lot of that just comes with experience. Nothing, nothing freezes up on you. Nothing numbs up on you. You know, when you're sitting against a tree, you know, your butt goes numb, your arm goes numb. You're like, how do I make this situation work when they're coming in? You know, come on and get feeling back, you know, and the ground blind definitely gives you that uh, more comfort, you know, luxury feeling. So as far as like, I know you guys talk about calling a lot. How important is calling to like a beginner? And like, where should they focus a lot of time? Call more, call less. Less is more. And that's one thing I did not learn until probably a few years ago. I mean, like I said, I always used to be at like an octave 10. I mean, all the time, like, bah, 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 bah. and I'm going to budge in just quick, just because of like videos of uh, juries or anybody like that. And I don't know how many clips they take out to how much right. it makes it sound. But, you know, boy, you hear a lot of them talking, calling all the time like i mean within 30 seconds to a minute you know of each other and like i said i don't know how much of the clip is that taken out uh but there's been instances what i've been with blake and i'll let him communicate on this better because i don't call uh i'm pretty much along for the ride and the gun um when when we get going I guess. Scouting wise um but i just think you know you definitely got to feel the birds out you know i i would say later season it's more of a just you know, you kind of got to feel the... It's basically, you take their temperature. So, like, basically, like, when I used to first learn how to call, I guess I'd have to be at an octave 10. So now I've kind of learned, like, okay, I'm going to start really soft with a guy. And if he responds back, okay, he's probably pretty hot. So, but I also, I might have started out at a three right there. I got seven more octaves I can go on him. And if you start out at a 10, that bird's expecting that excitement to escalate. It ain't going anywhere. That's just experience, honestly. You know, you you can let out that first cluck and um, get the and they gobble back right away, and you just let it sit. Like he let it sit for fifteen minutes before we call again, and that bird will gobble three, four times in between that intermission of calling with us. But we get him. You know, it's almost that part of playing them out where you get them thinking about it. Like, boy, where's she at? You know. And that is a big one. So basically it's like you got an old stubborn bird and he's going to hang up. The best thing you can do is put the call away. Um, He knows where you're at. Trust me. He knows where you're at. I mean, I've had times where I've moved 40 yards because I want or 20 yards. I want him to come to this exact spot. I've called once and that bird will come right to that spot, right? Exactly where I was standing. They know exactly where you're at. And so basically what I'll try to do is that if I have a bird that's hot, and he's cutting me off, but he's hanging up. I shut up. I shut up. Don't do anything. And he'll start panic gobbling. So basically, most of the time, they'll start panic gobbling. So basically, I'll shut up for 10 or 15 minutes and he'll start gobbling by himself because he wants me to respond to him. He wants to know where I'm at. Because like I, like I said, we're recreating biology. We're supposed to go to him and he's coming to us. So basically, I just shut up for a while and he will come out and eventually present himself 90% of the time. And so like that like guy said, once you get him hooked and he's responding to your call or cutting off your call, the best thing you do is shut up. Cause he's probably coming. I guess that, that's actually really good. Cause I guess like you said, Nick, I've had that misconception where it was like, I thought it had to be a conversation where like, I thought it was like, he'd gobble. I'd call back. He'd gobble. And like 10 years, 10 years ago, that was me. I just yeah. wanted to hear him gobble. Yeah. So I'd get him hanging out in the field for a hundred yards thing you get playing with their minds you know and i and like i said i don't call i said uh blake blake does the calling most of the time colton does calling uh brad does calling you know um i don't call 
but it's just kind of one of them things, you know, after the first few times we've been together and, you know, you get him, you start clucking and he starts gobbling back, you know, you play him again a couple times and then you're like, oh, he's really into it, you know, but how many times do you play that before? How do I put this? That girl at the bar that everybody wants, you know, <laughs> put it like that, you know, um, that, that girl, you walk into the bar and be like, yeah, that's the, that's the one I'd really like to talk to tonight, you know? Um, it's it's almost something like that. Is it going to be uh, something you kind of wait on to see everybody else take their chances? Well, and so that's a big one. I mean, there's been many times where I've had birds out 100, 150 yards, and I will call until I'm blue in the face, and they will gobble at me nonstop. I'll have them triple, quadruple gobble at me. They're not moving because they think I'm coming to him. So, again, that's a good situation where you can – and that's where it makes it tough around here is because we have a lot of field hunting. You know, they get out of the roost, they come down to the field, they strut around so they can see a decoy or something for a long ways away. Some of the best luck I've had has been where I can put something in between me and him, whether it's a rise, whether it's trees, some sort of brush. So he has to come there. He knows I'm here. He has to come there. Now, it might be three minutes. It might be an hour. I mean, and, and it's one of those things where I've I've called the trigger too soon. I mean. There's one time I was calling in like an ice storm and I was like, this is stupid. I'm leaving. I had a Tom 20 yards behind me. They had no clue. Then I go up a little bit more, 40 yards away. There's another Tom there. It's just one of those things where you kind of don't know and you have to just kind of get a feel for it. Like probably the only reason I know this is because we've messed up so many times. I mean, and that sounds so cliche because you'll get people on here. The best things you learn is when you, you mess up and you can learn from it. It's true. I mean, there's so many times where I've royally messed up and I was like, nobody's perfect. No. And that's the thing. And that's how you kind of fine tune it because you're never going to be perfect. I learned something every yeah, time I go out there. These TV shows, they're not perfect. And those birds, you have to, they got hundreds of acres and those birds are not toyed with at all. So, I mean, we're talking with birds that have been roosted in public or are on public or whatever, and they have heard calls. These birds are not stupid. 70, 80% of the birds we kill each year are public birds. Um, and that's just kind of, well, that's the enjoyment out of yeah. it too. I would and we are lucky like where we live at, we have a lot of public land. Um, and we have very diverse turkeys. They adapt really, really well. So yeah, it kind of goes with it. When you're talking about public, like a new turkey hunter, what should they like think about when they go on public land? Like to be courteous of other people. I have only had a couple bad run-ins. One was on public. One was on private. My biggest thing. And I talked about earlier in the podcast is that, First of all, no one's going to beat me to a spot, especially for turkey hunting. But if they do, I'm gone. That That's theirs. They beat me to it. They don't earn the right to do that. In fact, I really wish, and I know you could never do this, but like in some of these smaller tracks of public, I think about this for even like pheasant hunting. Like I'll go to a spot. And I was like, man, there's no one there. I got my dog with me. I might as well go. Well, somebody was hunting an hour earlier. I'd like to know that. And not just for the fact, like I don't want to waste my time, but I mean, think about the bird pressure or deer pressure, or anything like that. Like, I don't want to, I want someone to be chasing in 30 years. And that's what you bring up that point of, I, I think honestly, just a big, um, and I'll even take it kind of into a little bit of a waterfall hunting perspective is just being courteous to the person. Um, if there's somebody else there, um, like Blake said, you get into that spot first. If you're there, um, respect that person. And if you, if it's a big area, you say, Hey, you were here first. Where are you going? I'm going to go the exactly. complete opposite direction. You indicate that. Don't get in a 
Um, don't get well, in the hissy fit. Yeah, don't get in the hissy fit about it. You know, it ain't it ain't worth that. You know, it's public land. Um, but there's other spots to go. That's why you try to make um other spots, other spots where you can go, or scout other spots where you can go. But I just like waterfall hunt too. You know, uh, getting to that spot first. You know, it might be private land. Um, if you get to that spot first, respect that other person. You know, don't come budging in and be like, you know, hey, we got four or five guys you know you mind if we just hunt with you you know there's been instances where i've had that and you know it's been that and then it just turns out to be a crapshoot you know but but you know it's just a it's more of a respect thing and i think people get that um you know if a person's putting in their time don't go screw up their hunt if they're out there at 5 a.m in the morning and, and you show too. up at six o'clock or 5 30 30 minutes later don't go screw up their hunt for them you know and i and i don't try to be a a I, I mean, it is what it is. You know, if I show up at 530 and they're there at 430, I'm probably going to take off to the next right. spot, you well, know. And that's um, one of those. Or, or there's been instances where waterfall hunting where I've uh, I've showed up to a, to a spot to hunt a private pe- uh, field um, where the birds have been going and a group beat me there and, and pack it up and go home. Turn around and go home. You know, that, it, it is what it is for the day. Well, there's always tomorrow, right? That's that's right. That, that, or you get back out and you yeah. scout that afternoon. You watch what they're doing or go to, go back to bed for 30, 40 <laughs> minutes, an hour. Come back out when they're flying or when uh, when you know birds are out moving. Get back on them, scouting them wise, and see what you can do the next morning. And that, that kind of goes along with and And some people kind of get. And, you, you know, when you've been scouting a spot, like especially on public land, you feel like you're the only one looking at it. You're obviously not. Um, and so you feel like a little bit territorial to it. And the one thing is, is that it is public land. That's the only land that all of us own. Um, and the biggest thing to me is that, yeah, it is frustrating when that happens. But, you know, especially with turkey hunting, deer hunting, I mean, even waterfowl hunting, it's a safety concern. Um, there's been a couple times and I can name off two instances. One was on private, one was on public and Colton was with me on both of them actually. And the first one was on private and I, there was another guy hunting the property. I had been trying to communicate with him all week and he wouldn't call me back, wouldn't text me back, nothing. I said, you know what? I haven't seen him around. I know this Tom's here. We're going in there. We were in there at 4:45 in the morning. Um, we see his truck pull up. He seemed ticked off. He peeled away. Didn't know figured he left okay i get it i know you're mad but we beat you here so a tom comes in about 6 30 in the morning about five yards away and i miss it shoot right to the south of me all of a sudden after i shoot i see a guy get up right right in the direction i shot i was like what in the heck is going on here so i missed the turkey we got the decoys went up and we met him on the road and i said hey were you in those trees He's like, yeah, I have no other place to hunt. I said, honestly, I could have shot you. I had no idea you were even there. And that's one of those things where it's just like, if somebody's there, just just go. You might have to eat a hunt for a day, and I know that sucks, but it's one of those things where it's not worth risking a life. Last year, Colton and I had a guy. said you tried to reach out to him. Yeah, I tried and, to. Right? And, you know, it's honestly, but that's the biggest thing is communication. You know, I, I feel like if if anything out of this, um podcast i feel like you know just communicating with people and letting them know um and just having the respect because it is it i mean honestly it is frustrating i mean it it just it stinks and we feel like we have like our right to ownership and honestly we don't own the wildlife none of that yeah. stuff. that's kind of where i think no. i mean and, and that's with anything pheasants deer duck i mean i don't care I, it's not worth it because you know what 
they busted up. They got here earlier than I did. They deserve this spot, no matter how much I feel like I deserve no. it. And at the end of the day, it's not worth catching some lead in the face or whatever you want to call it. It's just, it's not fun. And like I was going to say, you know, I mean, you've already pointed this out, but safety and out of respect for the other hunters, if somebody's there before you on public, that doesn't mean go set up a hundred yards away from them. And that's kind of, and that kind of happened to us last year. We were actually on public land. We had gone around. And so, and a lot of people probably don't do this, but I, there's multiple entrances at public ground, especially around here. Um, and obviously the bigger pieces, there's a lot. And some of them, you can have more than one hunter in them for sure. Cause they're huge. But around here, you kind of want to know where other people are at. So if I see another hunter at another entrance, I'm kind of out because I don't know where he's at. And so cold and I had gone around, did our little loop. Nobody was there. We went in about five thirty in the morning. The bird had already gobbled like three or four different times. And, uh, we heard a truck stop and he started walking out on the private. And that's one thing that, you know, I guess I didn't think about that. And I guess he probably didn't think about that. So I'm not blaming the guy, but he walks in on us and luckily he does set up 200 yards away. Um, but it was one of those things that man, any more of these decoys are so realistic. If he would have came 30 minutes later and seen a redhead sitting there. What if you were in the back of that shot? That's how people get shot every year is the fact of just careless people that don't really know. And I just don't want to be a part of that. I mean, there's, Tons of other spots you can go. Just get out. Or knowing knowing the surroundings, respect. Or just know the boundaries. Yeah. I mean, just, just I mean. Don't push it. Sometimes I've gone to public spots and there's been people there I know. And they're like, hey, you're not, you're not we're going here. We're going here. And I was like, that's fine. I'm going to the back pond or whatever yeah. it is. And you're out of their hair. You're, I mean, it's, it's perfectly fine. But sometimes, I mean, I've gotten in pissy matches with people and it's just not worth it. I mean, it's just you're better off just leaving not even talking to them. I mean, I know you might have your heart set on that, but there's been so many times where in my younger days, when you're a little bit more feistier, I try to fight for that and it's not worth it. Just leave. And you know what? When you take the high road, I mean, karma has its way coming back with you. And I've had guys walking on me before and I, I hate it. And you kind of hope that that works in your favor too. I've had instances where, I know Colton was with me on an opening goose hunt one time, and we were on private land, and I knew the situation. I knew a couple other people had permission for it, and we beat them there by 45 minutes. We had everything set up, blinds tucked in, and another group shows up, and they set up on the fence. Well, you know, we we, we communicated with them. We kind of just said, you know, it's kind of disrespectful. I mean, you know, it's a 60 to 80 acre field, you know. I mean, there wasn't much room for two groups out. We kind of just let it be, made it work, and we ended up, I think both of our groups ended up shooting our limits anyway, you know. Um, and But it, it's just, the, you know, kind of just being respectful no matter what. Don't let in your emotions get involved um, and just being respectful to the people and figuring out other ways to get around it and making the right, making the right situation out. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of good advice. I mean, I feel like when a new hunter comes in the woods, I mean, it definitely is a scary and, thing. Don't and I should say that too. Don't I mean being a new person, I don't feel discouraged yeah. coming into there. I mean, be that person that wants to be uh proactive and get out there. Hey, hell, if you're getting out there at four o'clock in the morning, I mean you deserve the right to haunt that. That's the thing. Beat me out there. Right. I mean, good for you. I and mean that's one thing. Have too. at it. I I'd be the person to be like, have at her, you know. I mean, 
good for you. I I hope you shoot that Tom that morning. Yeah, because you worked hard for it. Yeah, exactly. And especially for a new hunter, I I if they're if they're listening to this, I I really hope that's I mean something they take from that. If they're going to be that person to uh, make it work and be proactive about it and be the first person there on public land wise, um, make sure it's the right situation and hopefully everything works out for them. And, they succeed well and to kind of go off that a little bit i mean we're obviously we're trying to get we need more people to hunt i mean that's how we get our public land that's how we get all of our resources that we have i mean we're pretty lucky where we're at so like all these things sound like oh, you got to do all the scouting you got to do all this stuff calling a lot of it and like i said it before i mean it's just learning i mean a lot of the times i've just learned from all the mistakes i've made so that's kind of the best just get out there and do it because if you enjoy being out in the woods all that stuff it all kind of eventually comes together if you're putting in your time no matter how crappy you may think you are it it eventually comes together you gotta mess up a lot before it makes it right yeah that's always a good i think it's like good general advice to have i mean would you give any other advice you could think of like to a new hunter i mean like don't be scared to ask for advice you know like don't be afraid to try something you know, what's the worst you're going to do? Mess up. Yeah. You learn from that situation. Like I'm constantly asking people for advice. Like here's a situation I've been in, in any aspect of hunting. And I want people to ask me that too. Um, and I don't want to be confused with like, well, Blake never tells me where his spots are at. Well, that's, that's not the point. <laughs> that's I mean, like, story. like that's where that's part of it. I, I earned, or like I figured out these spots. I found it. I've gone and asked permission. I've scouted these birds. You can go do that too. And it might be the same birds. Good for you. And that, and that's some of that stuff. But like, if people have like general questions, like don't be scared to ask, you won't sound stupid because we've all started at nothing. That's, that's the biggest thing that people, that people don't understand. We've all missed. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like people don't understand. Like we all started when we were, some of us started when we were eight years old, like I did, or like you did. And some of us didn't start hunting until they're 30 years old. That's fine. There's no stupid question because these are wild animals that we're pursuing and that we have an interest in and they are, you can't predict them. Yeah. There's always an external. Yeah. That's a, that's the thing. Like there's no factor. You can ever figure that out. with. Don't let your pride get the best of you. You know, there's always an old quote to it. Say they call it hunting, not killing. Yep. Yep. Same things go for fishing. It's, just, it's the qual. It's the quality of the hunt, not the quantity. <laughs> so as far as like when I'm going out turkey hunting, is it only you're looking for birds or are there some external factors that such as like weather? <laughs> yeah. So, so like, are you talking about like, hey, if we're talking, if we're, you know, what, like, well, no, let's out? get into, let's get into some, uh, sun, sunrises, you know, cut him off. No, come on. <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> so basically, I mean, my ideal time to hunt turkeys is if the sun's out decent, temperatures i mean we're not like negative 20 that's a good time to go lower winds tough times to hunt turkeys for me i've honestly never hunted them in the rain i know guys that do i know you can kill them in the rain absolutely that doesn't seem as enjoyable to me as having a nice tom coming in the sun glistening him off him and he's gobbling because tom probably isn't going to gobble much in the rain cold i'll see a lot of birds kind of group up they probably don't want to play the game as well probably aren't going to be as vocal dry wet factor that doesn't have like a big play into it especially in like spring turkey hunting 
Um, wind does have a factor though. Um, there's, I do not enjoy hunting and wind. And obviously we're in Iowa, we get wind. Um, I don't enjoy it, but I just don't enjoy that because I like to be able to communicate with them. That's why I love turkey hunting so much is because the communication factor. So, I mean, like to me, it's like a perfect bluebird day. And we do, we are very lucky. We get a lot of those in the spring. We get a lot of the other stuff in there. Um, as far as advice, I mean, when you go out there hunting, you don't want to be sitting in the rain. You you want to be enjoying yourself. I mean, for me, turkey hunting is like a nice little getaway. I like to be able to enjoy that nice weather. Enjoy Because if you're not harvesting anything, you want to at least enjoy the nature around you. Because there are a lot of cool things that are happening. I mean, you have all the beautiful, like, ducks. Um, pheasants are out there doing their thing. You'll call in a couple coyotes. Yeah, just like you said, huh? Just taking in everything, you know, there's yeah. been, there's been days where we're scouting and, you know, guess what this time of year is perfect for asparagus. Hunt. Yep. <laughs> I mean, yep. there's, there's plenty of different things you could be doing. And as far as like uh hot and cold, like I said, extremely cold. I'm not a big fan of that. Cause I mean, it is spring turkey hunting. I mean, the hotter it gets. Yeah. The hotter it gets. Sometimes I will see birds kind of jam up a little bit as soon as that summer or that not that summer but that sun gets on them and it's like probably an 85 degree day they will probably go try to seek shade they probably aren't strutting around all day a perfect day for me is when you're seeing highs between like the mid 50s and the mid 60s yeah yeah right now i mean that's a perfect day mornings decently you know long sleeve t-shirt weather we're far enough in spring we're we're far enough yeah we're far enough in spring the birds are already fired up that's a good day to get on them but i've seen them on really really hot days they will gel up quite a bit um and not be as vocal because simply they're just too hot and yeah i say nobody likes to move when it's hot and when it's too cold i mean you're probably not thinking about breed neither no that's definitely a lot of good advice so, i mean basically just like when you can get out there just go hunt that yeah that's me so like you know, I see, you know, as far as like weather patterns, moon phase, anything like that. I mean, if the bird's hot, he's hot. I mean, and, and a lot of it becomes down to, so I mean, like deer hunting, there is data on like moon phases, all that stuff. Like turkeys, I've never looked it up, honestly, but I mean, you can tell the time of the year when the birds are hot, they're hot. And that's what you're kind of going to do. And that's kind of how I go about it. And if a bird's not going to play with you, then I just move on to the next and like I, you know, Blake's got more, definitely more knowledge about this than I do. But, you know, you start scouting them from early season, um, season one, you know, and you kind of get a pattern on them or kind of get the feel for them for that, um, what it's going to be like them season, I think, is the biggest, you know. And I mean, and that comes back to scouting. And that, and that is really the, the basic thing you can take away from this. If you want to have an opportunity, and I always feel like this, if you heard a turkey gobble, you're already in the game. I mean, if you know turkeys are there, you're already in the game. If you are not confident going in there, like, I think there's turkeys here. Probably not a good spot to go into. And so a lot of it does come. I mean, it's thousands of miles. I mean, it honestly, I'd probably be embarrassed to admit how much we drive around and look for turkeys. But I mean, it's one of those things where if you really love it that much, it's fun. I mean, it's just like, I mean, there's some waterfowl people in here. They like, going and watch them where they go and feed like great good for you that doesn't get my jollies off. Like, <laughs> but boy it does when they're landing on top of your face yeah. <laughs> no well, i appreciate I it 
Anything else, Blake? You got to add any stories? One stories? story. So actually, I have two quick stories. The first one I had was actually I did not even pull a trigger. It was actually these two guys were with me, and uh, it was the first times I ever called in, and we had hunted a spot. The bird started. Yeah, I think I was a senior or junior. Oh, might not even. He didn't even have hair in his armpits. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we had walked out of the spot at 3.55 in the morning. They started gobbling. And I knew for sure there was one time there, and I thought the rest were all jakes. Long story short, these birds are gobbling like crazy off the roofs, and we're like a half a mile away. I was like, where do these birds go? I knew they flew down. I like peek up because I was videotaping. And I peek up and I see them running down the road. I'm like, they're coming. They're coming. So the next thing I know, I I look I look to, out of the corner of my eye and I see a big Tom just strutting. And he's like 25 yards away. And I said, here he comes. Here he comes. And so at that point, I was like, take what we can get. Like, get the Tom. And so he comes in the decoys. And all of a sudden, I said, wait, don't shoot. And I see, I thought there were five Jakes. Well, it's five times oh, come and run it oh, in. Just wow. come and they just beat the living crud out of our decoy. Old Mr. Woody. Finally, I said, shoot him, shoot him. And so, so Nick shot his bird. And then I was videotaping. And by the end, the videotape went blurry. And I said, Colton, pop him, pop him. And Colton shot his first turkey. And that was their first two times. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world because it was my first time calling or second time calling, I should say. And we called in six times. And I thought it was just the coolest thing in the world. And you got that kind of response. I mean, I thought that was only something that happened on video. No, and see, the thing is that it, it, we do we do have that on video. We somewhere. do it somewhere. Uh, the other, I probably got it back on. Yeah, it is. It's somewhere. But the other cool one I had. So I actually mounted a turkey one year. I called him. We call him the Ghost Tom. So this is sounds a little weird. So you always hear about guys with their trail cam pictures and uh, um, they have like their deer and. Oh, he's a three-year-old. I'm going to let him go or whatever. And so we had this turkey called uh, the ghost Tom. And he had like literally one spur, but he had a huge rope on him. I mean, just a big old beard. And I'd hunted for, for like three seasons in a row. I never heard the thing gobble. Last day of the season, fourth season, I heard him gobble on the roost. Okay, the season's done. Next year I go after him. I've been hunting for three seasons. And uh, we hunt him. And I remember I was late for school. And we were we were thinking like, man, I don't do it. So I I went to my dad's office because he worked at the school. I said, I really think we need a hunter tomorrow. Tomorrow was Saturday. I said, I think we can get him, even though the bird would not do anything we wanted. I mean, once he got on the ground, he would not gobble. So the next day we went out there, got in the perfect spot. Son of a son of a gun just flies like hundred yards away from us. I was like, oh my god, this sucks. My dad's like, let's just wait here. Let's just wait here. Let's see if we can get him going again. So we kind of let him do his thing for a little bit, and he starts calling about 20 minutes later, and all of a sudden he responds. I was like, that's the first time I've ever heard him gobble on the ground, and I've literally been hunting this bird for three years. It sounds really weird, but I've had him on trail camera, everything. So he gets me set up on the spot, and he calls again about 10 minutes later, and he's like 50 yards away, right below the ridge. And all of a sudden, about 10 minutes later, I see, like, the sun was just coming up, and I get to see a perfect fan coming up, and I could see his red head. It was turned, like, blue, white, everything. And he came up there and he got to about 35 yards and my dad started making some clucks, got him to pick his head up and I shot him. And that was the biggest turkey I've ever shot. He had like a 14 and a half inch beard and he had a one and a half inch spur on the one side and he had no spur on the other side. So we called him one spur, but it was just kind of a really cool thing because I just want to add to one more story. Um, Last year's hunt. 
I, I think that was pretty cool. Just, uh, I, I'd like you. Vocalization. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the hunts. It's been probably three, four years since I, I came back into the sport and, and I wanted to get back out last year. And, um, and Blake kind of just put me in the, in the best situation. And I, I'll kind of let him take the story. So basically long story short is that we got late in the season four season. And like we said, the later you usually get the more vocal they will get and the more receptive they will get. And I knew this time I'd been roosting this spot and we had permission on the field that had a nice little uh, fence line that was pretty, yeah, tree line. And I knew he had been strutting down in there. And so he's probably, we're probably honestly like 300, 400 yards away from him. And he had to come across a blacktop. And I bet you that sucker gobbled, oh, 300, 400 times. I mean, that whole morning. And he actually came up from the field behind us and he strutted for an hour and gobbled at us. Yeah, I mean, like at one point he was behind us. You could just hear hear him. He's kind of. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just and, and I don't know if you ever heard a turkey like strut before, but I mean, it's like a it's like having like bass in your cars. Like, <laughs> and so he's strutting behind us. And luckily a car came and must have seen him and just watched him. But and he, he started. He let out a gobble right oh, behind us. It, it may. I, I, oh, yeah. Jumped. He was like was, literally within like, reaching distance. Almost, yeah. And so he played with us and said, I don't think this sucker's coming in. And the next thing I know, um, all of a sudden, Nick's like, he's right to my left. And I look, and I get to see a redhead coming through the tree he, line. He and he came in, and he was strutting and doing the whole dance and everything. He got to about 10 yards, and Nick, Nick just popped him. And that's a cool thing. And honestly, like, anytime you get a bird to play the well, game like that. Like that, too. Yeah, don't give up. I mean, oh yeah, let them be. And you, we didn't call for the longest time. We kind of just like, but we knew we had no hens. Is he gonna cross? That's a is thing. he gonna play? And he had to come through a thicket. I mean, like a thicket where, like, you would have been, you would have had your eyes closed, running through, pulling trees around yeah. you, you know. And he he came through that. Didn't hear him. I seen him. Yeah, ten yards away, and yeah. I'm like, oh boy. Yeah, and see, that's one of those things where, like, if you got to kind of read out the situation, you just have to know. What does he have for hens? Because that's like kind of the biggest thing and kind of just play him out, feel him out a little bit. But no, I appreciate you guys having us on here. I know we were a little bit long winded. Oh, it was but fun. No, 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 good it sto- was fun. Good stories. I definitely learned a lot. Well, if there's anything else you need us back for, we can, I'm sure we can talk about something. Uh, yeah, I think I think we'll have you back. Uh, yeah, we'll have a waterfowl <laughs> and we got a good deer hunt one too. We yeah. yeah. Sounds like walleye too. Walleye fishing too. I think Colton maybe get on on that. I could get you on a good pheasant hunt thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just come, you, you let's start this every week, guys. <laughs> well, they might not get sick of you guys. They might get sick. Yeah, that's that's, that's a problem. Well, let's let's plug you guys' socials. Mine for Snapchat and Instagram is Kayla Migrators. <laughs> for all the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Add them up. They're they're both the same. So, um, like I said earlier on, you know, our Instagram, (laughs) our Instagrams, um, I said we post a lot of our outdoor stuff from there. And, uh, um, yeah, I I mean, a lot of our, my my fishing pictures, my hunting pictures, um, everything, majority of that goes just to Instagram anymore. Um, We don't really follow our K&H page anymore. I don't know. Maybe that's something we'll start back up. Later hey, on here, but us. We're, yeah. we're, we're trying to build our cloud. So. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor migrators. So uh, I don't know. Uh, my 
mine's Blake Parker underscore 17. And uh, you'll find a wider range of pictures on there. It's basically just turkeys, deer, pheasants with my dog and like, occasional there. wife on there. <laughs> you well, you know, what's cold? <laughs> Married almost three years in July. Uh, yeah, Colton plug that. Scarp. Colton Scarp 8. Follow the guy. I mean, he's just a white. But like guru. I said, you know, uh, we all uh, kind of took away from that K and H page, and uh, we kind of just started doing our own little things on Instagram, posting outdoor pictures, and kind of just love um, wildlife, and um, kind of just went our ways with that. Yeah, and that's one of the things too. I mean, like I, I actually enjoy when people call me and or ask me about something with hunting because sometimes I don't even know, and so I'll call people all the time, like. There's not too uncommon oh, where I'll call people. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I like when people pick my brain, like, well, I got this set up, or what do you think about doing this? And, or I'll run that past other people too. It's not a dumb thing to ask. Like, that's how we learn because we really don't know because you don't know what other people have experienced before. Yeah, we'll have your guys' handles in the podcast. Fire in the DMs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially for Kaler migrators. <laughs> All right. We got to go. We got a fire call.